Okay, welcome back to the Steve and Sally study. Uh, before we kick off with my with my next guest, um, I want to shout out to my branding partner. They're called the Woods Co-op. Uh, they're experts in CBD. Check them out. Uh, they've got a fantastic website. I'm going to be tagging them on my on my uh, my story. Um, got my next guest. This is the first time I've interviewed um, a former guest partner, which is quite cool. So I've interviewed Coop DC a few times. Um, I found him uh, because I've listened to the Reggie Yates uh, interview uh, probably about 25 times, not even kidding. Um, I found it so compelling, so interesting, and I love what it's about. Uh, I had the pleasure of training with him. I was training for a boxing fight. Uh, that was last year. We'd done an outdoor workout, which was cool. And then on the second time round, we went into a, a restaurant, which was a plant-based restaurant, I think in East London somewhere. Powerful. And uh, he said to me, listen, you need to interview my other half. Uh, Lacine, is that, is that how I pronounce it? Lacine. Cool. Yeah. Um, do you know when I started following you, I I was watching some stuff and I've always found your content really interesting. And then um, and then you started speaking, you got an American accent. And I didn't even realise yeah. that, that, <laughs> that you were from America. I just assumed you were from London as well. So what's your background? I mean, what, what part of America are you from? Yeah, so actually I was born in New York, but we moved to Florida when I was about 10 years old. Right. So I'm a Florida girl. I was raised in Florida. Um, love it there. That's where I call home. Lovely. Okay, cool. And um, so how would I describe you? Because I would say initially I follow you on uh, the Pink Coconut, which is another mm-hmm. handle you go by. Uh, you've got a lot of followers. Obviously, you, you're pumping out some very, very good content out there. Um, wellness? I don't want to say the word expert, but is it a wellness expert, pregnancy expert, mentor? Um, I like to call myself a holistic doula and then also a natural pregnancy and postpartum coach. Uh, so what I do is I help guide people either by leading by example or by having these conversations that aren't talked about enough um, and guiding people towards, towards a more natural, holistic, healthy way of living and also raising your child going through pregnancy giving birth which you see yeah um so this is a bit of a selfish um interview today because uh even though viewers are going to get a lot of uh you know inspiration from this and, and an education i've got a son who turned two only last week and we're planning oh. we're planning to have a, another child and i think my son might be the similar sort of race to your daughter i think is that right? Or is she a, little... a year apart? Because she would have turned just three. All right. Okay, cool. Because I, I remember talking to Coop uh, about it. And um, the first time around, I was a little bit naive to, you know, I was a brand new parent. Um, be, being being a, 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 let's say, a man, I don't know whether this is, this is a sexist kind of view, but I, I didn't really have so much interest in the beginning until I knew we were mm-hmm. going to have... Uh, my son because it wasn't something I was really you know it wasn't part of my goals when I was younger saying now I want to you know a son and stuff but when it started happening that's when I started taking more and more interest and I made it I made it uh, a mission between me and my 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 missus for him to be breastfed because I knew that was the one Mm -hmm. of the most important things and I spoke to Coop about this Um, I'm a part of a wellness company called Mimboso and one of the partners on there is a guy called Ruben Tabarez um he is the strength and conditioner and a slight nutritionist to David Hay, uh, Derek DeZora, etc. And even he said to me, you know, breastfeeding your, your, your kids is one of the best things possible. So I know you're a big advocate of that. Um, Mason has just stopped breastfeeding only about a week or so before his second birthday. And some people were calling me crazy. They were like, how can he go on for so long? Mm-hmm. I said, well, in actual fact, um, it, it, you know, he probably should have gone on even longer. Um, what's, what's your kind of, you know, your view, you know, your, 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 your kind of, um, knowledge about, you know, breastfeeding children, how, how important is it for them? It's the most important thing we can do for them. So my daughter just turned three. She still nurses occasionally. Um, I think a lot of people tend to be super opinionated when, um, when they just don't know enough about it. So with my daughter, she only now nurses to sleep at nighttime. Mm-hmm. So for her, that's a huge milestone. She's never gone to sleep even at nap time without nursing um, or just nurse throughout the day. So it's only at nighttime. But breast milk is nutritionally complete. Um, if we weren't meant to give it to our children, we wouldn't lactate at birth. It's that simple. 
we actually, the UK has the lowest rate of breastfeeding moms in the entire Western world. Wow. So you take any like America, Canada, Australia, the UK, the UK has the lowest rate of breastfeeding moms. And it's because it's not supported. They, there's a study done, um, and this study was actually US-based, but 80% of moms were offered formula within three to four hours after giving birth. And that just proves that we are not being supported as breastfeeding uh, mothers. It's hard. That's the thing. Breastfeeding isn't easy. And so when a new mom has a baby and you're maybe, my mom, for instance, didn't breastfeed me. So she didn't know how to support me. And I find that that's quite, um, that happens quite often. You don't have a group of people around to support you just because they've never done it. They don't know. And so it's easy to say, oh, you need a break or you know what? Let's fill a bottle up because dad needs to bond with the baby. And to me, that's focused because there are so many other ways that dad can bond with baby, baby that isn't breastfeeding. If you were meant to feed your child, you would lactate too. It's that simple. We're overthinking things here. Uh, when our daughter was born, Coop used to bathe her. He used to brush her hair. He used to stretch her legs out because, you know, when they're tiny, they're just kind of all bunched up. So there's plenty of things that dad can do. Mom is just the feeder. That's just what it is. That's naturally how it is. Um, like I was saying, breast milk is nutritionally complete. So it contains everything that our children need to grow big and strong and healthy, especially within those first few months to that first year. Um, it fattens them up nicely. It's got exactly what they need. So the other argument is that, well, I just breastfed my baby. It's an hour later or half an hour later or two hours later. And my baby's hungry again. So they're not getting full and I'm not producing enough. Also, not true. The thing is, our food, our milk is so perfect for your child that they, they digest it so easily, breaks down, passes through. Now they're ready for more. Yeah. And that's natural. Yeah. Yeah. Um, without going into like a kind of a conspiracy thing here, like what my take on it uh, is as well, they don't sort of drill drill into people on tv about breastfeeding because let's face it how can i make money from it so the, the natural thing with it is that they're pumping out these adverts about formula milk or alternatives but the reality is you know nature has provided something for you and that and that and 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 and, and because it's provided it for for you it's going to be the best thing for, uh, certainly for the first few years for your baby to develop mm-hmm. and one thing I was blown away with when I was in the hospital with uh, Emma and then Mason was born, um, she was producing this golden like syrup before the the milk. And I had like bearing in mind, like I'm just a normal guy from, from London. And I was like, what the hell is this? But I found it amazing. And we had to get a syringe and basically, basically off a nipple, uh, draw back and get this golden, golden like syrup. And I was pumping it into his mouth when he was just, you know, literally a day mm-hmm. old. And I was fascinated, and uh, they they came up. It was like they came up with like um, a nickname for it. It was like the golden something, but there's a real term for it. Uh, name do you, do you, colostrum. That's it. So what's the, what's the benefit of colostrum? So colostrum is has a different consistency, and it's a fuller, fattier milk for those first few days. So like honey. What happens is maybe kind of. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, So what it is, is you're pregnant and after you give birth, your body is being signaled, okay, the baby's here now, I have to produce milk. That takes a few days. It can take two days, it can take three days. And so your body is needing to produce uh, colostrum because it's thick and it's so concentrated with the nutrients that your baby needs. Bearing in mind your child's belly is tiny. I think it's the uh, size of a teaspoon, tablespoon that uh, they need her feeding. So it's really, really small. So that little bit of colostrum is all they need to sort of get their system going, get, give your body time to produce milk, give them time to learn how to suckle at the breast. And then within a few days, you'll produce that milk and you can start uh, finding that routine of regular feed. Yeah. Um, and the other thing I learned as well is, um, am I right? If uh, the baby is coming down with just some kind of, you know, natural kind of, I don't know, a little bit run down, maybe even teething and stuff, the mother's body will know due to the breastfeeding that it might be slightly poorly and it will send uh, antibodies down the milk to make the, 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 the baby a lot more healthier. 
Um, that's the kind of science that most people don't realize. And as I started learning, I thought, how fascinating is the body? I mean, it's fantastic, especially for, from, from it's a mother's amazing, point, point isn't it? Yeah. It's absolutely amazing. And we must also point out, um, as you were saying before, pregnancy, uh, child feeding, birth has all really become monotonized. So we go to the hospital and we act like we're told that we're sick and that we need medical supervision to have babies when that's not entirely true. And then the baby is born and we're told we need this and that and we need checkups and we need uh, formula like you were saying. So um, to touch on that a little bit, I do understand that it is sometimes necessary for mothers to pump and to feed their children pumped breast milk from a bottle. Some moms have to work or, you know, there's various other reasons. And I do understand that. And at the end of the day, mother's milk is the best option when compared alongside cow's milk, because at the end of the day, we're not a cow, are we? Yeah. Uh, so that being said, though, as you were talking about uh, antibodies and stuff, it's best and it's uh, most important to directly feed your child from the breast. And that's because when the baby suckles at the breast, its saliva sends, um, communicates with the mother. So that's how it happens. If the saliva is on the breast, it communicates with the mom and says, this is how I'm feeling and this is what I need. So if you remove that by pumping your milk, the baby isn't able to communicate with the mom and the mom isn't able to create the kind of milk that the baby needs at that specific time. Maybe they're going to start teething and they need something to soothe them. Maybe they're going through a growth spurt and they need a fatter milk. Maybe they are getting sick and they just need something to protect them. Well, if we pump, yes, we're still giving them their milk and, and that's great. They're getting mother's milk. But are they getting the right kind of milk for that specific moment? No. Yeah. Uh, you touched on something there because funny enough, yesterday, uh, Emma received a call from the, the, the checkup uh, that the uh, doctors uh do i've got a view on it um i won't go into it so much right now but one of the things that kind of pissed me off which i wasn't i wasn't on the call so we're not we're not fully plant-based yet um my typical uh regime including emma is monday to friday we are plant uh you know uh we have veg and lots of fruits distilled water etc lots of coconut water on the weekend we are kind of pescatarians and it's more like a treat um you know, it's just something that's been working for us. We've been doing it for nearly two years now and we feel a lot healthier because of it. And Mason's basically the same. And the lady was saying, uh, you know, is he doing this, doing that? Oh, are you making sure you're giving him dairy? Now we're big like no, no on dairy. And there's this misconception that if he's not having dairy, his bones are going to start breaking. Um, and <laughs> lucky enough, my, 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 my other half has been on this cause now for some time and she could bite her lip and just sort of kind of brush off of it. How far away from the truth would you say that, you know, having cow's milk, milk for a baby or even an adult, how far away from the truth is it that you need it because of calcium? Far. Yeah. Uh, so I think like we talked about before, a lot of things just in our life are so overcomplicated and there's no reason for it. At the end of the day, are you in fact a cow? That's the only question there is to ask. When a cow gives birth, they create milk and that milk is meant to grow their tiny, tiny calf into a hundred thousand pound bovine mammal. So is cow's milk meant for a human baby, no, because they're not a cow. It's that simple. That being said, they do say that, yes, you need calcium for to make your bones strong. Well, cow's milk is acidic, and it leaches calcium from your bones in the long term. So a lot of people, since we don't know enough about food and about health and about food science, okay, you're giving your child cow's milk because, of course, you care about your child and you want them to grow big and strong and healthy, but you're also giving them cheese and butter, and yogurt, and eggs, and wheat, and refined sugar. You're giving them all of these things. Your body can't handle all of that. That's what's going to make you sick. That's what's going to make you weak, right? So again, your breast milk has exactly what you need. That's why it's so nice to breastfeed. You don't have to worry about what your child is or isn't eating or is and isn't getting because your milk is supplementing. And especially if you breastfeed on demand, 
your baby's able to say, uh, you know, maybe I don't want the avocado you offered me for lunch. I just want some breast milk. And they can't communicate, but there's a reason they chose that. Maybe there's a different vitamin mineral that they need that's in your milk that's not in the food right now. Um, like you said before, though, it's a big business, isn't it? And it is important to say that hospitals and doctors and nurses, they are helpful and you should use them when there is an emergency. It's just really important to analyze what is truly an emergency. When do you truly need them? Because especially in the UK, in the US, it's a bit different. You aren't scheduled these uh, follow-up appointments automatically. You would have to call them and schedule those follow-up appointments to say, you know, it's time for my baby's checkup where... I remember as my daughter was going through stages, I was just getting letters in the mail saying, here's your appointment, you know? Um, so it's really shoved in your face. Uh, we never took her to any of those appointments. But yeah, to answer your question, it's far from truth. We're, we're not a cow. It's really that simple. There's nothing else to discuss. If you are in fact a cow, you might want cow's milk yeah. <laughs> because you're a cow. I mean, and you know, we should point out also that in order for cow's milk to be produced, Cows have to be pregnant. I mean, that is a very natural process that has to happen. So again, every mammal only produces milk after they've given birth for their child. So, you know, to talk about, you know, that, that topic a little bit, it's just really sad because they're impregnating these cows, ripping their calves away to then milk them to give the milk to humans. It doesn't even make any sense. It's cruel, totally cruel. And then also that kind of jumps over to the other sort of misconception, which is protein. People think that you need to eat loads of, you know, red meats, white meats, etc., even fish, to say, oh, I need to become big and strong, so I need to eat the eat the protein from from a from a from a cow or a chicken, for example. But I've been uh, learning over the last few years with the help of Coop again and multiple different other people that, in actual fact. It all comes down to the amino acids, which you can find in leafy greens and fruits, etc., which convert into proteins and therefore will feed uh-huh. your muscles. Um, how important is it then if you're breastfeeding, you're becoming a, a parent for the first time, especially as a mother because you're feeding them, the right kind of foods that you need to be consuming as a mother? Uh, so as a pregnant mother or as a mother who's breastfeeding? Um, well, how about... You know, let's say one who is preparing to become a mother, so might not be pregnant yet, but trying to create that nice environment for their body. But then during pregnancy, and then after, as as a as a breastfeeding mother. Yeah, so we'll start from the beginning. Then you know you're pregnant first, and it's so important to eat the right kinds of food because if you think about it, your body and the environment of your body, the state of your body, is what is creating a totally new human being. So their DNA is literally being formed by their environment. What air mom is breathing in, what kind of water she's drinking, what kind of food that she's eating. Um, And they've actually done studies where they have found that uh, if a mom is eating just sort of anything, just conventional food, so not organic, they're actually finding these pesticides from the food that the mom would have eaten or from the environment in the uh, umbilical cords of the baby at birth and isn't that mind-blowing Completely. so the chemicals the pesticides insecticides that w- are just in our environment and then further that we consume is found in the baby's blood so as our babies start to grow up you know just as babies as toddlers as children as teenagers eventually we all get sick something happens something right and it's interesting to speculate that if we were living in a proper environment with clean air and clean water and good food, would these things still be happening? And I don't think so because they're not natural. The body is made in complete homeostasis and in complete health. And uh, lots of literature states that if anybody were to come across a human in perfect form, never saw a human before, and you come across a human You would never have any reason to believe that this creature would break down. That's how perfectly we are designed. But we bring havoc upon our body unknowingly. We're not taught. We don't know. We're marketed towards. We're products. Um, But it's important to take it into your own hands. So, yes, throughout pregnancy, it's not necessarily, you know, about I need protein, I need meat. It's everything that you're eating. 
I tell people all the time, you know, sort of like yourself, if you want to eat fish on the weekends or if you find a routine that works for you, then so be it. You know, there's other factors that maybe don't align with me. We are plant-based. I haven't eaten meat in 22 years, I think. And and that works for me. And that's, that's what I believe. But if we were all to just do our best and to make better choices, we would help the environment as well as helping our bodies. Just like you said, you have felt better in these past two years. So throughout pregnancy, um, yeah, it's not just about protein or about calcium. It's about eating whole foods that are that are plant-based. Eat a variety of greens and fruits and nuts and seeds. And if you want meat, make a good choice. Get a good organic grass-fed meat because, again, those pesticides, if you're not eating organic, are going to be forming your baby. And later on, your baby's going to get sick because pesticides and the studies and the side effects of them haven't we haven't had the time to compare in a hundred years in 50 years and if you want to take that chance then that's fine but i choose not to mm-hmm. and um the importance um, of uh having like uh raw foods as well because um as in raw plants because um it's almost like we're taught to have especially here in london i would say in the uk have meat or some kind of animal product like in the morning what is a typical well i could tell you what my dad would eat in the morning right it would have baked beans uh toasts with lots of butter on it there would be bacon on there there would be sausages then probably later on in the day there might be like a ham sandwich and then overnight it could be steak and chips and some peas and we're taught to have always protein which is the the the, the meats but but cooking everything but then when i started sort of converting my sort of lifestyle and also my nutrition I every single morning now I don't eat solid food I don't really eat solid food now during the day the only thing I have is is fruit I have soups during the day but in the morning I have a cold pressed juice and that's got chard in it that's got uh that's got um cucumber that might have celery that have ginger lime lemon and and that's all I need and I feel great because of it and it's, it's the education of not uh, cooking and heating up your fruits or veg you know I think I think that's mm-hmm. quite quite an important teaching for people um yeah so raw foods are the most nutritionally complete and that's just because they're unadulterated you take them from nature they're ready to eat so whether that's your lettuce your shard like you were saying your collard greens papayas oranges apples grapes whatever it is you know if you can take something from the earth and eat it right away that's going to be the best thing for you because if you think about it, the moment we start cooking food, no one just cooks, you know, a piece of shard, you know, in a pan and then eats it. They add oil, they add salt, they add all of these other things, which further um, compromise the food. Because the more you heat up your food, the more you deplete the nutrients. And we can take it a step further. You add salt. Now it's dehydrating. You add oil. What kind of oil are you using? Because most people might use a corn oil or vegetable oil or canola oil, which might be cotton or soy based. And all of these oils, first of all, are typically genetically modified. So if we're touching back on the pesticide usage and stuff, um, so they're genetically modified. But also, (laughs) if you are going to use oil to cook, you should be using a, a, an oil with a high smoke point, which means that essentially the oil doesn't burn off as you're cooking your food. So if you're burning your oil, you know, by using, let's say, corn oil, and you're cooking your shard in it, you're depleting it, now you're eating burnt GMO oil, you're, again, you're bringing all of this uh, lack of balance to your body. You're making yourself sick. So typically for us, I try to... Um, keep in mind of a balance in the kitchen. Uh, we do eat cooked meals, but I'm fully aware of how I'm cooking things. So more times now, I water saute vegetables. And what that means is that um, I don't call it boiling because it's not a pot of water and, and sticking the veg in. It's just a little bit of water and sort of cooking off the water, whether I'm making you know broccoli or green beans or... I don't know, zucchini, courgette, you guys call it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so whatever those things are, I water saute it. And then I might caramelize it. So give it a little bit of a deeper flavor and a caramelized note with coconut aminos, which mm-hmm. comes from coconut. So you learn to cook differently. Um, and then I always, 
weigh out what I'm eating. So for instance, the other night I was making some water sauteed veggies with a salad and I had a bell pepper and I could have put the bell pepper with the sauteed veggies. But because I'm aware of how much raw I'm eating to cook, I said, actually, let me just cut the pepper and put it in the salad because I don't have to cook it. And I think that's really the main thing here is like you were saying, how your dad might eat is probably how you were raised to eat, eat as well, if, if I'm correct. Def- definitely, yeah. I mean, I was, I was always yeah. one to have a uh, uh, toasted sausage sandwich with ketchup on it. And don't get me wrong, back in the day, it was beautiful. I used to really, really enjoy it. Yeah. But now on reflection, my energy levels an hour or two after were completely depleted. But I thought that was just normal. I thought, oh, because I've eaten, I, I should yeah. be tired. Now I have a cold-pressed juice in what something called a mason jar. And I, I drink that and um, that will take me up until like half past 12 easily. I could probably go on for longer. Yeah. Um, I've got to admit as well, I've, I've uh, excuse my, my French here, but um, I've pussied out a few times with, uh, with Coop when he, was, when he was sticking it on me to do a, a, a water fast and stuff. I've broken a few yeah. times, but I, I need to do it. Um, but anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, so that, that's how I was raised basically, yeah. Yeah, so um, I was also raised the same way, standard American diet. So in my household, my mom was never, you know, you have uh, moms or like my grandma loves to cook and she's a great cook. Coop's mom is an amazing cook. That wasn't my mom. (laughs) My mom wasn't that. Uh, You know, we ate. So my background, my mom is Puerto Rican. My dad is Ecuadorian. So that's a lot of um, fish and pork and uh, white rice and beans and um, plantain. and that's what we were raised on. I mean, if there wasn't white rice in the meal, my dad didn't eat dinner. So we could have had pasta at six. By seven or eight, my dad would have been like, where's dinner? Because we've only had pasta, right? Because we, where's our rice? So this was every day. Um, we grew up with our sodas and our crisps and um, tinned foods, all of these just really nutritionally deplete, depleted foods. So, you know, I don't want anybody to think, well, A lot of people might think, well, it's easy for you because, you know, you've been doing this. No, no, no. I had to teach myself to do this uh, because it wasn't in my house. And we just we had standard fruits like anybody else, grapes, apples, bananas, oranges. But your more exotic fruits, your dragon fruit or even papayas, which I enjoy immensely now. These aren't things I ever had. I had to learn about them. Um, so I grew up the same way, you know, eating these big, I don't know whether they were pancakes or waffles, or I used to really love eggs with toast and, um, cheese, just lots of cheese, but never any vegetables. So we're all used to waking up and dehydrating ourselves. So then of course we're, we're, we're tired. We have headaches. Maybe we're breaking out or, you know, we can't, uh, we don't have as much energy. We, We experience that midday crash and it's because we're waking up and the first thing we're doing is weighing our body down. So what I was going to say about your dad and just about, you know, any of us who eat like this is just that we, um, we're all experiencing food addiction because we were all taught that way. So food addiction, you know, occurs and, and we don't even know that we are addicted to food because again, we, we have grown up in a household where we wake up and we have our beans and our toast and our sausage sandwiches and it's normal. But the point is when you wake up, it's not time to eat. No, it's time to hydrate maybe, yeah. right? And keeping in mind too that a typical meal can take up to 24 hours to digest. Yeah. So if you do the math, a typical meal um, taking two, uh, 12 hours to digest, that means you can only digest two meals in any one day. Mm. So if everyone's eating three meals or more, and the first thing we do is wake up and eat more, when our body hasn't even digested yesterday's food, well, now you can see that we're backing ourselves. And again, we're bringing our body out of balance. Yeah, yeah. Because we, we don't need to eat. We just wake up and, and we're taught it's breakfast time. And how many people do you know? And I'm sure you might have experienced this yourself. I used to, where it's 12, 1 o'clock, it's midday. Food is not on my mind. I'm not hungry. But I see the time and I'm like, oh, I've got to eat lunch. Yeah. You're programmed. What? Yeah. Absolutely. And the same goes for dinner and for breakfast. So, you know, a lot of times we don't, we don't even need as much food as we need. And that's why water fasting is so important, you know, amongst the uh, health benefits. It's also just about your self-discipline and um, 
what you can accomplish and, and mind over matter, mind over your body and being in control of yourself again. That's a major thing that fasting brings to you. Yeah. Um, so uh, this is not me, but I know if someone was listening to this right now, there's, there's a guy in my studio who I work, because I'm in Soho here, I've got an art uh, company, and there's a guy who's very much into his training, so am I, but he, he uh, does a lot of, let's call it bodybuilding. And his argument to me, if he was if he was the third person on this right now, I could just hear him. He could say, um, yeah, but I'm bodybuilding, so therefore I'm going to need to have loads and loads and loads of calories. Uh, what would be the kind of rebuttal to that? Uh, as far as fasting or just generally with food and what our food Yeah, because he says, oh, I need five meals a day because I'm trying to get bigger, etc. Um, I mean, is that true? You do if you're trying to get bigger or is that still a slight misconception? Um, so two things. First of all, I'm not going to touch on it too much because Coop would definitely be your guy. He's the one for that. Um, I, I don't bodybuild. I don't even train as much or as often as Coop. So I'm going to leave that for him. But that being said, I would just say you need more nu- nutritionally, um, dense. nutritional foods, yeah. right? N- nutritionally dense foods. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. So it's not always about how much you're eating, and, but sometimes it's about the quality of food that you're eating. Yeah. Because just like you said, before that you've already learned what happens is all of these amino acids from the food come together to give you those proteins or to give you these um, uh, minerals and vitamins that that keep your body going so it's not necessarily about how much you eat so much as the quality of food that you're eating okay yeah perfect there were two things you said as well which I'm trying to remember them uh, the first one is what what Coop said I think used to uh, say to me and then you just referenced it we're addicted we're addicted to um, to certain foods. And going back to my sausage sandwich, um, you've got uh, the bread, normally white bread as well, which has been bleached. And that, mm-hmm. that is basically a mm-hmm. starch, which is a type of sugar, correct? And then you've mm-hmm. got tomato ketchup. And I didn't realize a Heinz tomato ketchup, how much sugar, teaspoons of sugar is actually in that. And you get full up, but then the, the, the kind of sugar kicks in and then you start to start, start to feel hungry again and you start to get addicted to that sugar um that's the first thing the second thing he used to say to say to me which i heard him on the reggie yates podcast say he said we don't get addicted to meat we get addicted to the um seasoning which is put on meat and the second thing is the um the texture we're we're addicted to the texture so is that something you also you you kind of would support yeah for sure i mean generally speaking coop and i think very much alike uh, so we do share a lot of the same thoughts. Uh, like I said, for me, I I stopped eating meat when I was 12. I think I was 12 or 13. Um, I actually don't even remember what happened. But my mom said that I came home from school. I had learned something and I was like, I'm not eating meat. And um, what was my, that like? my parents. What was your mom and dad like? Yeah. So, you know, you have some parents who are like, no, you have to do this. But my parents, like I said, my mom was never really one who enjoyed cooking. She cooked, you know, she had a family to cook for, but it wasn't her thing. So she was just like, fine. I mean, whatever you want to do, but I'm not making anything special. So these times I would still uh, eat, let's say the rice and beans, and I would still take the sauce from like whatever meat she was making. I just wouldn't eat the actual meat. And that went on for like a while, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15. Um, so I, till I started getting older and I could cook for myself like better. Um, and then it was a lot of cereals, a lot of cow's milk, a lot of cereal, a lot of eggs and egg sandwiches and quesadillas, a lot of cheese and milk, um, addicted to it, had no idea, but absolutely addicted to it. Um, yeah, so that, that was, that was, uh, it was good. It's a good experience, you know, because. I was given the freedom to make that choice and then I just had to figure it out myself, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the last thing on, on, on this kind of area before I want to talk to you about the thing that I'm really fascinated with, which is Lotus birth. And, uh, I I really want to hear a bit more about it. Um, so eating the right foods, which have got higher, uh, density when it comes down to nutrition, super important. Keep yourself hydrated with fruits and clean water, distilled water. I take it you drink a lot of distilled water. I bought a di- distiller, which was one of the best things. I got one here in the studio. I got one at home, and and that's kind of all all I drink to a degree. If I'm out, sometimes I can't help by 
you know, buy a bottle of water. But, yeah, of course. Um, the way you cook your food. So boiling, I've been taught over the last two years, it's probably not the best thing. There's certain other ways. I mean, microwaving, I mean, absolutely terrible. I mean, it's like nuking yeah. your food. Um, <clears throat> I bought a uh, steamer, which I heard is probably one of the, one of the most better ways of cooking your you know your veg and stuff because it doesn't kill off as much nutrients is is that, is that right yeah yeah so basically <laughs> if you're not eating raw you can lightly steam your food and that's going to keep it more nutritionally complete because you're not killing everything that's inside of it it feels still wet doesn't it unlike if you boil something which it kind of falls apart but with a steamer it's still yeah. intact and it still feels alive almost yeah exactly it still has like a bite to it it's not going to get soft and, you know, essentially turn into mush if you overboil it, like you're saying. So you can lightly steam things. But I think the real takeaway is to just be aware of what you're eating and create your meals in balance, you know. So if you are going to cook something, because I do cook things, you know, let's say I'm making quinoa, that's a cooked food. Just be aware of that and balance it out with what you're not cooking. Yeah. That's all. You're just creating a balance. Wait, you know, there's no need to go overboard with things. Enjoy your quinoa, enjoy your wild rice, enjoy, you know, if you are roasting veggies, fine, but make sure you're balancing your raw food to that and build your plate around, you know, cooked to raw or, you know, how much oil or how much salt you're using. Just be aware of those things. That's all. Yeah. And uh, in your own view, because I just touched on it, microwaving, why is that a big no-no? It's radiation you're injecting your food with radiation and then you're eating that. So not only are you killing everything that's in the food, but now you're ingesting all of those horrible, horrible things and putting it into your body. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not good. Um, okay. So, no, not at all. so do you know what? I think the thir- first time I ever heard the term Lotus birth was actually from Coop. And I was like, well, what are you talking about? And he explained it to me. And at first, obviously, because I've been programmed, I'm like, well, that's, that's, that's a bit different. But through education, I know it's, it's absolutely phenomenal. And hats off to you for doing it because it's incredible. So let's just say I'm an alien. I've never heard of Lotus both before. Give me your kind of take on it. What, what, what is it and what was it like doing it? Yes, sure. So a lotus birth is really simple. So when the mother, the mother will give birth to the baby, the baby is connected to the placenta via the umbilical cord. And so typically at birth, they, the baby will come out and then what they will do is cut the umbilical cord right away. And then the mom, um, expels the placenta and, and that's treated as medical waste. So they just kind of throw it away. Um, in a lotus birth, what you do is you birth the placenta naturally and you keep the baby and the placenta attached by the umbilical cord until it naturally falls off. Typically, this can take two to 10 days. Um, for us, it took, I think it was exactly 64 hours. I woke up one morning, it was about 3 a.m. to change her diaper and it just broke off. Um, and there's nothing sort of medical about it. There's nothing scary about it because the umbilical cord is made of something called Wharton's jelly. So it's really stretchy and like, um, kind of jello-y at birth. And so all you're doing is waiting for it to dry up. Now, the benefit of that is that at birth, up to one third of the baby's blood volume is still in the placenta. Yeah. Yeah. So when you cut the umbilical cord off, essentially, you are sending your child's body into shock because they were just born. They're a few minutes old and their body is saying, holy hell, I need to make some blood. And so what happens is your body starts to try to create these red blood cells, their body, sorry. And in the process, the liver is supposed to break down something called bilirubin. But because they were just born, their body can't keep up with breaking it down. And sometimes that can lead to what is called jaundice, which is that yellowing of the skin. Yeah. But it's all because we cut their umbilical cord and we didn't have to. All we had to do was wait. They've done studies where they did, they took MRIs of the brains of four-year-olds who had their umbilical cord cut at birth. And on every single one of them, they found brain lesions. Wow. Um, I almost feel a bit stupid because um, I, I was that guy, you know, like what you see in the films where 
the, the baby's born and then they, they hand the dad the scissors to cut the umbilical cord. And uh, obviously I didn't know better back then. And, and I remember looking at Mason, my son, and he was quite pale afterwards. And I just thought kind of normal. And also they were wiping away yeah. the, um, what do you call it? Burn it. Yeah. And I know also that's a no-no as well. Is you should keep keep that on him. Um, but again, uh, I don't want to say the hospitals are a business. They kind of are, but um, it, they're very quick. It's on- just tradition, isn't it? Yeah. It's just, you, you don't know any better. You're not taught. And it's just tradition. They hand you the scissors, you cut it off. And you're like, oh, my baby. But you don't know. So it's yeah. not your fault. Yeah. The point is learning and doing better next time. Because yeah. all of these things are not things that we knew. This is our, our first daughter as well. So we had no idea. The only difference is the moment I became pregnant, I started doing research, lots and lots of research, only because of the way that we already live. Yeah. We have already been living in a really sort of natural way where we're, you know, eating as healthy as we knew how and know how now. And so, of course, for me, I was going to do research because now I'm pregnant and I don't want to take somebody else's knowledge for truth. I want to learn it myself. So uh, back to, you know, explaining a lotus growth, like I said, it typically takes between two and 10 days to, to break off. And essentially what you're doing is just allowing the blood to flow from the placenta through the umbilical cord back into your baby. Um, and what it is, so there's lotus birth, and then there's also something called delayed cord clamping. And honestly, you can choose both. They're both the same. With delayed cord clamping, uh, what you're doing is you're waiting for the umbilical cord to stop pulsating. So that could take 20 minutes. It could take an hour. Um, at birth, the umbilical cord is also like this pinkish, purplish color. So you can tell that there's blood in there. All you're doing is waiting for the umbilical cord to turn white and to stop moving. Because that signals that the blood has transferred all of the blood from the placenta has transferred back to the baby, and now you can cut the umbilical cord off. So the difference is um, with the lotus birth, it's a bit more spiritual, and it's a bit more of um, a reminder that the mom has just had the baby. Just take it easy. You don't need to be getting up and walking around and acting. A lot of moms, myself included, um, are offered help in those beginning stages. And we're like, no, I can do it. I can make my own food. I can take my own shower. I can do it. I can do it. And the point is, you might be able to, but you don't have to. So when the baby is connected to the placenta, you're forced to slow down because you've got <laughs> two packages to carry around and it's a bit awkward. Um, but again, you don't have to do a lotus birth. You could do delayed cord clamping. The point is those are your options. So do not ever cut the umbilical cord right away. There is absolutely no reason for it. Yeah. It wreaks havoc. Yeah. And um, so uh, practically then, so when your daughter or when your, your, your child is, is still attached to the placenta, is it a case of just putting it next to them in, in a cot or how, how do you go about kind of setting it up? So um, baby's born, you wait for the placenta to be born, placenta's born. Um, what you will do is when the mom's ready to start moving, uh, just go to the bath, bathroom, uh, shower, water source. You're going to want to clean the placenta off because it's going to be bloody. It just came out of the mother's body. Clean it off, pat it dry, put it in a bowl or a basket. Uh, we use the glass bowl. They do actually sell, like on Etsy, people make um, placenta bags, so things that they make that you can put it inside of. We just use a, uh, a glass bowl. And then you can put um, Himalayan pink salt, some dried rosemary, some lavender, some rose uh, on it to make it smell better. In our experience, we added those things right away. And we actually feel that that made the placenta smell when in hindsight, it didn't smell to begin with. So I do recommend if anyone is going to do a lotus birth, clean it, pat it dry, and then leave it alone. If you start smelling something, because it is an organ that just came out of the body, then put those herbs on it to take away from that smell. But initially, you don't have to wait it out because, again, for us, the placenta fell off, uh, the umbilical cord fell off in two days. It's really fast. Um, three days, sorry. Um, but for some other people, it might take longer and you might want to use those herbs. But again, once once you have the uh, placenta in the bowl and you have the baby you know, over here, it just teaches everyone to slow down. Just take it easy. Yep. Um, on a spiritual level, too, some people believe that the release of the uh, placenta and of the umbilical cord is the baby 
sort of signifying and communicating to the parents that I'm here now, I'm on earth, I'm yours, I'm ready to be here, I give myself to you. Um, I'm letting go of my womb world and of that spiritual place that I was in, and, and I'm I'm all yours now. Amazing. And um, okay, so uh, so after your child is born, then, and obviously you've you know, let's say six months, twelve months down the line, and hopefully people are breastfeeding. Oh, this is what I was going to ask actually earlier. Um, Ruben, uh, someone that I've taken a lot of uh, inspiration from and a lot of knowledge uh, to do with, like you know, wellness and, and nutrition. He said, I think he's from Colombia originally. I think his, his dad was from Colombia and his mum is English. Anyway, um, I think his mum couldn't produce breast milk for some reason. And mm-hmm. he said that he was raised on raw coconut water as well as it was something like something similar to Suncarella. I remember him telling me. Um, for those who can't breastfeed but they want to use formula what what would you recommend they 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 have and then also when do you start introducing other things like fruits or any other nutritional kind of dense food for 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 the kid um so there's a lot of answers here a lot of different topics so the first thing excuse me the first thing to tackle and to discuss is going to make people angry um (laughs) most women can breastfeed. Most women can breastfeed. Um, unless a mother has had breast augmentation or has some sort of um, major disease or a cancer, she can in fact breastfeed. The thing is, <clears throat> new moms or even pregnant moms are not supported. And that's the main issue. The issue is not that moms cannot breastfeed. The issue is that we are not supported in our breastfeeding journey because again as a caring and loving new dad you're saying to your partner you're so tired the baby's waking you up I understand just let me feed the baby let's share this burden let's share this load you can't do it alone I love you so much let's just you know let's go half and half when you're awake you can breastfeed him but you know when you're sleeping we can make him a quick bottle um and so that, that little change there can signify to mom's body, oh, hey, we don't need to make as much milk anymore. We can stop working so hard. And so your milk starts to deplete because unless the baby is asking for the milk, your body's not going to make it, which is why some people say, well, if your daughter's three, are, are you still producing milk? And yeah, maybe some people don't want to hear this, but like I've squeezed, I've squeezed my boob. There's still milk coming out. Why? Because she still asks for it. So my body still makes it. Mm. That being said, diet also plays a huge role. If you're eating a lot of acidic foods, a lot of mucus-forming foods, which is your wheat, your refined sugar, your um, oils like we were talking about, um, just all of these foods that aren't the healthiest options, essentially um, we have milk ducts, right? So the milk comes out of these tiny, tiny little holes in the nipple. And essentially if we're eating these really bad foods, what are you doing? You're clogging your pores. You're clogging the space the milk to come out mm-hmm. so if you're eating cleansing foods and you're eating foods that are really alkaline and foods that are just really good for you and meant for you then the milk is going to flow mm-hmm. Makes right? sense. so so that's so that's really the first thing can moms breastfeed yes are they supported no and sometimes it's not even by um you know just the partner sometimes I will tell you right now my experience when i first started uh breastfeeding my daughter was horrible i i have tons of friends since then who have had babies who just had their baby and the baby latched onto the breast and they've had a wonderful breastfeeding journey that was not my kid (laughs) it was so hard i cried and it hurt and i didn't know how to do it and she wasn't eating in the first like i think it was about the first week she didn't learn to effectively i say she but it's we because it's a teamwork thing we didn't learn to really do it until she was about 10 to 14 days old, okay. which is a long time, right? When you're solely responsible for feeding and nourishing something that was just like sort of put here and there's no other option. Holy crap, the pressure. It's so hard. Mm. But my mom was here. She came from Florida and I had, you know, my, my supportive husband, but my mom never breastfed. She's got me and I have two brothers. So she had three kids, but she never breastfed. 
Poop's never breastfed. I've never breastfed. I don't know what I'm doing. All I know is that the baby's a bit fidgety. She's crying and my boobs are getting fuller and fuller, but I don't really feel like she's swallowing. And so we did call um, a midwife and the midwife did come over and I was like, she's like, how's breastfeeding going? And I said, oh my gosh, it's not going. It's really hard. It hurts so bad. There were times where I would lift my daughter to my breast and I would have to take a deep breath and just, I would cry in silence. It hurts so bad. And I'm not saying this to scare people. I'm, I'm saying this to relate to I, people. I've seen it with my, my other half, half. There was times she broke down, like really, really broke down. It's quite an emotional thing. It's, it's emotionally exhausting. It's physically exhausting. And I will say that when you are breastfeeding properly, I mean, I'm saying this to a new mom, um, it's not supposed to hurt. It doesn't hurt at all. You don't feel anything. But again, new moms aren't getting the support in technique and in how to breastfeed. So we call the midwife, the midwife comes over and she's like the head midwife. And she's like, how is, um, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Okay. She's like, how is uh, breastfeeding going? And I said, oh my gosh, it's not going. It's really, really difficult. And um, uh, she was like, show me, show me how you're doing. And so I put the baby up. And she, sorry, one moment. I think it's this one. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think one of these, uh, yeah. yeah uh, so I lifted her, yeah. I lifted her to the breast and she took like, I had a big letdown, which is when your milk comes down. And it like splashed in my daughter's mouth and it came out through her nose. And this all happened in front of the midwife. I was like, holy hell, like, do you see what I mean? Oh my gosh. And all the midwives did was say okay yeah that's a bit of a lot hopefully that gets better that's all she did I was like this is the one person that I thought could help me this is the one person that I thought would provide me some sort of support because I had emotional support in my husband and my mom but I didn't know what I was doing I needed technical support I needed somebody to show me because I don't know how to breastfeed I've, I've just had a baby I don't know what I'm doing she's my first child um now, I recommend to moms, there are people called lactation consultants, and everyone should know who their local lactation consultant is, because these women are not midwives. They might be a midwife, but what they do is they specialize in breastfeeding. So these women are able to come to your house and show you how to do it, where the baby should be latching onto your breast, how to position the baby, how often they should feed, all of these things that maybe a new mom doesn't know, but these are not resources or tools that are shared with us. And so we don't know. And so now I share that with other people. Um, so yeah, it's, it's not always easy. It's not easy at all. And I think the main thing, I think the reason why there's such a uh, large community of, of sisterhood within breastfeeding moms is because what links us and what makes us all the same is that we have endured mm-hmm. because it is hard. It is so hard it's exhausting but nobody else can do it and you know you're doing the right thing and this is what you want to do and so we've all overcome and that's the difference you know it's it all comes down to support like I'm saying so these moms who switch to formula because they say they can't breastfeed or they're not producing enough or I can't tell how much my baby is feeding that's a huge uh, one that I hear all the time and the point is if you're breastfeeding on demand and and you're breastfeeding you don't have to know how much your baby your baby is eating because when you breastfeed on demand, it just means that when your baby asks for breast milk, you're giving the baby breast milk. So it's not on a time schedule. So you kind of can't be one foot one one foot in, one foot out. You can't say, I want to breastfeed, but also I don't know how much they're getting, so now I'm nervous and I'm causing myself anxiety. You just have to trust the whole process. Either trust it or don't trust it. Yeah. Right? Um so yeah, so moms can breastfeed. Um, if for some reason they can't breastfeed or, you know, maybe, you know, they can't handle it emotionally or physically or their body's not producing. So like you were saying, you have a Colombian friend. Um, each sort of region of the world, sort of country of the world, especially when you're talking about different um, groups of people, different ethnicities of people, they have different formulas that they feed their children. So I know one... Um, that is recommended. I think the baby has to be, I think it's at least six months and it's a combination of hemp seeds and distilled water and um, something called bromine. 
bro- bromide, bromide, I think. Okay. Um, and maybe some dates and you mix that all together and that's sort of a natural formula. Um, that's not something I've tried. That's only something I've read. But again, just like your friend is from, I think you said Colombia. Yeah. Um, each sort of group of people will have their own um, formula and their own way. Because remember, giving birth, having babies, breastfeeding is an ancient practice. It's something that we've all done throughout history, right? Yeah. We wouldn't be here if we weren't all getting pregnant and giving birth. So it's not new. It's only been made new. I think hospitals came around in the 18th, 19th century, and they were marketed towards us. And this is something people fail to put into perspective. They think that having a baby is a medical emergency, and it's not. We were taught when hospitals were erected and when they were built, they were marketed towards us. So before then, we were all having our babies at home. And typically, there was a midwife there. And this is where the truth gets really ugly, and people don't always want to hear it. But many midwives were melanated. So whether they were Hispanic or African or Jamaican, wherever they were coming from, we were colored women. And so when hospitals were built by European men, and they wanted to start making this into a business and monotonize it, how they marketed it was, well, the wealthy people, the people that can afford this, the people who are concerned about being clean and being safe, because you don't want those dirty, poor women touching you, well, they'll come to the hospital. And that's what everybody started doing because it made you seem like you could afford it and like it was nice and it was clean. But this is where all those practices come into place. There's nothing medical about childbirth. This is also where it wasn't until the 17th or 18th century that King Louis of France, he really, really enjoyed watching his mistresses and his wives give birth. He enjoyed it. And so throughout history, in statues and paintings and sculptures all over the world, whether that's in China, India, Ecuador, Peru, South America, like Brazil, wherever, we've always given birth in an upright position or on um, a birthing stool. So you're kind of yeah, sitting yeah, yeah. in a chair, you're upright, it's unnatural, you're standing, isn't it? you have one leg. It's unnatural. It's natural. So it's totally unnatural. Yeah. So so birthing upright is what's natural because that's how the baby can come out. Because, um, yeah, but King Louis... I, I remember even the, the midwife saying to, to Emma, if you're laying back like that, the baby's got to come down and then back up, which is such an unnatural process. So it's either kind of... She was going to look at a water birth like, and you're kind of on all fours almost, and that's a, yeah. an easier way. Or like you just said, like standing up. But again, it's it's what you're conditioned, how you see it on films. Yeah, you know everybody else yeah. does it that way. But in really and truly, it's not a natural way of doing it. Laying back. Yeah, no, you cause yourself more um, more distress. So, uh, like I was saying, that it was King Louis. He really enjoyed watching this, and so he is the one who said, "Lay on your back because I want to watch." And now, look, we're hundreds of years later, and the modern day King Louis, if you will. This is really dramatic, but are the the doctors, the obstetricians, because a lot of women think, you know, this is my baby and it's so personal and I love my baby. So when I go into the doctor, they're here to take care of me. And I'm not saying that they're not. They are taking care of you, but you are also a number. The doctor still has a family to get home to. He or she still has their own kids and, and dinner or maybe they've got a movie or maybe their son is in a school play. So they want you to have this baby. Because they, they want to go home. Of course. Right? And so it's all medicalized. Lay on your back. Get the baby out so I can see what's happening. Like, let's go. Come on. Yeah, and cut. Right? that's where it comes into cut the umbilical cords, wipe off the baby, and within two hours, you're out of there. Let's go. Yeah. Exactly. You're a product. Like, let's keep this moving because you're not the only child. You're not the only pregnant mother. And I've got things to do. And again, it's not to make the, the people who work in hospitals out to be bad people. It's just to shine a light on people who are having babies now to say, you can do this by yourself. We're just taught that you can't. And not even just by yourself, but even, you know, as a home birth or we're just being aware of the process of things. Yeah. Um, you know, so back to what you were saying about, about food. So, you know, breastfeeding obviously is best. And can you breastfeed? Most likely, yes. Second, um, there are different formula options, none that I've experimented with, so I can't really speak on them. Thirdly, um, there are some people will use like goat's milk or their soy milk options. Is soy my favorite? Is goat's milk my favorite? 
No, absolutely not. But of course, the child has to eat. So before cow's milk, I would probably go for soy milk. Um, and after soy, soy milk, I don't know. Another option is also a uh, milk donor bank. What so about, there are moms who. What about he- like hemp milk? I heard that's pretty, pretty good. Well, again, so there's a lot of different factors involved. Um, but like how s- old is the baby? And- like you said earlier, sorry to interject, but uh, also you, you mentioned about genetically modified so obviously when certain people come off cow's milk, for example, I mean, we've, we've got loads of juice bars here in, in Soho and um, just down the road, there's one that they do juices, cold pressed juices, and they also do like protein shakes. And I stay away from whey protein. I stay away from cow's milk, but the alternative will be like hemp uh, protein. And then they might put a, an almond milk or an oat milk in there. Mm-hmm. But are they genetically modified and would that, would that harm you? Well, I mean, anything can be genetically modified these days. You always have to read labels. And concerning babies, especially young babies, it's always going to be best to create whatever it is at home from scratch. It's always going to be better. Um, And obviously, I think that anybody who's going down that right would be open to making the formula for their child at home just because they obviously don't want cow's milk that, you know, they're already there. Um, But, you know, like I'm saying, there's different options. I think first breastfeeding, if you can't breastfeed, the second best option would be, which I failed to mention before, would be a donor bank. So there are moms who pump milk and donate that milk to these breastfeeding banks, you know, all across the world, and you can buy milk from them. So that's the second best option because it's coming from a human. Scientifically speaking, like we were talking about before, whether it's the right milk for that time if they're sick or you know and obviously it's coming from a different mom um yeah those are factors but in the event you can't breastfeed then human milk is still going to be the next best option then you can move out to formulas but i think the problem is like you know like i keep i'm sorry for being repetitive but the problem is that breastfeeding moms are just not supported and we're not told about these options so we don't know so You know, if we're struggling to feed the baby, we've made up our mind, we cannot do this anymore. I'm going to give the baby something else. The only thing we know is formula. Look, if I didn't do research and if I wasn't living this lifestyle and if my partner wasn't living this lifestyle, if I was talking to my mom, let's say, she would have probably recommended formula and I would have said, okay, just because that's all we know. That's what she gave me. Mm. So she would have recommended it to me and me as her daughter, who is generally healthy, would have been like, oh, yeah, that's what she needs. So the point is, we just don't know as breastfeeding moms, as new parents, what the options are. That's the only thing. There are options. We are just unaware of them. Yeah, yeah. Education is absolutely key. And hence why I started my podcast over two years ago now. Um, it's not just to do with wellness, nutrition. It's also interviewing like athletes and also interviewing chefs, interviewing business people, just to give people an education because you don't know what you don't know mm-hmm. unless you're exposed to that information you're always going to live a certain life um look we've been on the uh, call now for like an hour and, and some thinking i really really appreciate your time where can people find you um instagram is best so at lacine there's also at the pink coconut uh the dot pink coconut i do have a website lacine.com we do have a youtube channel which I haven't posted on in so long, but I'm working on videos actually right now. I've got one done. I'm working on another. So that's break fest, uh, break fresh on YouTube. Yeah. Those are, those are all the places you can find me. I'm constantly posting things, working on new things, trying to create more, uh, especially now that my daughter is older and I've, she's got, she's more independent. I've got time. So more to come. Good stuff. Um, I've got a bit of a, uh, a quote catchphrase on my podcast, and it's this, be happy, never content. I came up with it a few years ago. I'm in sales, and it's about mindset, etc. If I were to ask you your interpretation of be happy, never content, what does that mean to you? Be happy, never content. To me, means to take chances, take a leap of faith, um, and I do think I'm an example of that. Coop and I actually met on Instagram. Whoa. And so with a crazy, crazy, <laughs> but with a leap of faith, you know, I got on a flight and we came, I came to meet him and then I went back home and it was only a few months later that in another leap of faith, 
I quit my job and I moved to London wow. that fast. Um, and yeah, and we got married and we had this baby and I'm happier than I've ever been. And I feel like there's this real self growth and this constant evolution that he really holds me accountable to and, and vice versa. But that is true happiness before I was content, but I never would have known that if I didn't take a leap of faith. Yeah. Follow your heart. Yeah. Perfect. Um, all right. Thank you very much for your time. I'm definitely going to continue following you and I'm going to implement certain things. And when the time, if the time comes up, we've got number number two on the way, I'll, I'll definitely be, uh, drilling down more into your information and trying to get the very, very best from it. Absolutely. And I might be back yeah. on the phone to you actually. <laughs>